everybody. Uh, thank you for joining. And this is Whiskey Wednesday Weekly. Um, tonight, I have a special guest, John Atkin. Uh, he corrected me twice before the show. Um, please don't forget to subscribe, like, uh, comment. Uh, obviously, it's how YouTubers uh, do their thing and, and obviously get uh, notifications and things like that. So make sure you click the little button on the bottom to subscribe. Make sure you comment on John's interview and uh, leave me any feedback. So thank you so much, John Atkin. He is a 40-year educator uh, out on the uh, Tennessee, I think we find you right now, right, John? That is correct. We're here so John and I met, uh, it's a pretty cool story. Um, this is kind of how we meet a lot of people, at least me and my wife do, uh, whether it's vacation or just getting out. John and I went to, I mean, uh, Mila and I went to Jamaica in July, and uh, John and his wife, Jody, uh, were a sweet couple that were hanging out in the uh, Preferred Club pool, got to chatting them up, and, uh, you know, he thought... <laughs> We were making fun of each other with the with the dollars and the money, just cracking up. He was calling me an MD, and he was, I was calling him an EDD. I don't even know what half that shit meant, but it was a good time. Um, and I think you were there just like a day shy of when we left, right? That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. So John and I are. Uh, I will call him a friend via via the uh, the phone for now, just because we haven't made it out to his area to see him uh, since Jamaica or vice versa. Um, but we do plan on seeing him out there. We got some friends in Tennessee and we plan on making a nice trip here probably next year. And he's one of our stops. So thank you so much for joining me tonight, John. Finally. Glad, glad we finally hooked up on this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, real quick before we get into it, um, John actually just last week had to postpone due to the tragedy there in, um, uh, Tennessee. What was the town? All right. We live in Collierville, Tennessee. Had a Collierville. And that was the, yeah. the, the Kroger store shooting and um you know i'd like to just take a second to acknowledge your friend um not to make this a somber moment but i know that she was a friend of yours the one that did lose her life so i'd like to just recognize her what was her name right her name was olivia king and not you know not a close friend but she had worked for the school system which i was over for many years and right. relaxed in the community so real tragic yeah, just tragic and, you know, and just want to recognize that for everyone that uh, obviously is going through some mental illness or, uh, you know, anything that that is just in that realm that makes people do what they do. So uh, anyway, I appreciate that. And uh, we'll get started. So John is joining us from Tennessee and you said Collierville. Right. So tell me a little bit. Just give me a couple minutes synopsis about where you're at now, where you're from and, and just kind of a, a two minute uh, summary uh, from where you started and just kind of where you're at now. Sure. Grew up in a small town in West Helena, Arkansas, which is a river town, the next uh, river straight down from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, if you're familiar with Memphis, obviously home of FedEx and a great logistics company um, uh, area. But uh, Helena is about 80 miles south. Grew up there, real small town. Um, family, uh, youngest of three boys, uh, middle class family, went to uh, college in Arkansas, played ball, became a teacher coach, ended up in Collierville, Tennessee. I chased Jody up the river <laughs> in 1983. Um, she was a neonatal intensive care nurse. So best decision, been blessed with landing in Collierville, Tennessee. Uh, long career in education, as you mentioned, uh, retired two years ago in 21 after 40 years as the superintendent of the school district here in Collierville Schools. Um, and have been a full-time grandfather since then, along with doing a little consulting work. And I know we'll talk a little bit more later, but uh, 
As Ken mentioned, we uh, were blessed to meet them at a secrets resort in Montego, Montego Bay, yeah. Jamaica, as Hurricane Elsa was blowing through. So That's we nice. survived Elsa. I forgot um, about that. I forgot about the hurricane. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They had everything boarded down, and that was a good day, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, fortunately, much ado about nothing. <laughs> um, but uh, we it, it caused us to stay in a hot tub uh, on the deck and talk and have a large time. And he was tipping the lady at the pool a much larger amount than I was. So that's how we met. <laughs> yeah, I think that day on the deck, we both were probably not realizing we were hearing certain things we shouldn't have heard. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment no comment <laughs> well because we uh, are distant and john's not a huge whiskey drinker he was uh awesome enough to go out and get three uh good bottles from his area of the the world uh, i've had i've had two of those the one in the middle i've not heard of because that sounds very local even though the other two are extremely popular um so we're going to do things a little different we're going to start with a drink but we're not going to do shots we're actually going to taste and then between the questions, we'll knock back that particular whiskey that each of us have, which will give us three uh, drinks each, but we'll talk a little bit about each of them. Um, so that being said, we typically start off traditionally with a drink. And what are you going to start with first, John? I guess I'll start with the small batch, Colonel Taylor. All right. All right. Now, Colonel Taylor's from Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And it was, it was hard for me to go to Kentucky, bourbon being here in Tennessee, but... Uh, <laughs> I had it here and had been gifted that actually at my retirement two years ago. And I figured what better occasion than to crack it right here. I'm sure it's oh, nice. Well, nice. But. Well, I will say that that bottle is uh, the gentleman who originally started the first distillery was from the Civil War era. And then since then, now it's being distilled out of the Buffalo Trace distillery. I'm sure you're All familiar right. with Buffalo Trace, All right? right? I almost got that, that for the show, but I changed my mind. So. Well, I'm starting with a, it's called Barrel. That's an actual name of the whiskey. It's called Barrel Rye. It's cask strength. So they actually write down each particular bottle, uh, handwritten, each one of which barrel it came out of and the proof um, and the date. So this one is 57.82%. So it's 116 proof. Um, it's seven years and uh, yeah, it's straight rye. So it's a very solid whiskey. So let's do a little pour and, and uh, let's get talking. A little bit of this, we'll make the end of the show, right? <laughs> you've, if you've not checked out some of my shows, I've done six monster shots with one of the guys. He's a super trainer from LA, and I was so plowed afterwards. I, I was like talking sideways. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, that was pretty strong. It's 104 proof. Yeah, just try. Right, to... Well, cheers from a distance, brother. All right, cheers. We'll to taste it first, and then we'll sip it. Yeah. I could do more of those. Did you do neat or you have some rocks? Uh, no, I'm just doing neat. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. That's actually a very good bottle that someone gave you if it was gifted. So yeah, that's, that, that's one of the few who liked me when I retired. You know. <laughs> the other people gave you a bag. <laughs> other people who gave you some balloon animals and shit. All right. <laughs> so I do want to go back to the small town because I'm from a small town as well. And I don't know how small town yours was, but mine was fairly small, probably on the larger side now, but just because of growth. Um, but being from a small town, I know that I've had a few things that, now you've got a couple years on me, not too many, um, but being from a small town, I know that when I grew up, there are certain things that you can learn from a small town versus a big, you know, town like, you know, California area where there's not a lot of rural, 
There's not a lot of, you know, driving your bike down the street to your friend's house and those type of things. And obviously times have a lot to do with that. Where we grew up and the era we grew up in is wasn't as, I guess, uh, inflicted with pedophiles and things like that and social media and everyone else getting out there. So what, what could you take from being from a small town? Was it something you not really regret, but since you didn't know any better, you know, with your parents and, and, the, and the finances, I mean, just give me a couple minutes of what you feel like growing up in a small town would be versus maybe where your kids are growing up now, even though you're in a smaller area. I know they're probably more popular. Yeah, and I think I can give it a, a couple of references and points to make. Um, I grew up in West Helena, Arkansas, which at the time was the sister city to Helena. Helena was the oldest. West Helena was the manufacturing side of it. Uh, to tell you how much it's changed since then, um, as that area has dried up economically, a lot of uh, social problems, industry, any kind of jobs have left. That whole area now, Helena and West Helena are now a consolidated city, mm. a combined population of 12,000. The two together, when I was growing up, were right at forty-two or forty-three thousand. So, oh wow! See, so, yeah, it's pretty depressed area. So it's actually gone right in reverse. Yeah, it's gone in reverse, as a lot of the Arkansas Delta has done. And uh, I know, you know, the Delta is the home of the blues, and they've got a lot of it going on down there right now because uh, it's. Uh, but I wouldn't trade the experience of growing up there. You said it; I didn't know any better. But we were close enough to Memphis, which was the big city then. Sure. We came up there a lot and and knew the the fun that happened in the city. But the small town growing up, that atmosphere of knowing everybody and everybody knowing you, obviously, hopefully the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. But uh, if everybody knew you, that means if you got in trouble somewhere else, it followed you home and you got in trouble again. Exactly. Um, uh, my dad was a pretty popular guy with a, a lot of the community. He was a vet, World War II vet, as most of the parents were then. Uh, so the community, you know, that was a community of that that type of, of people in West Helena. Um, I had two older brothers, which means, as you know, um, got any older siblings. In my case, I paid for their mistakes, too. Uh, so they were six and eight years older than me. And if they got in any kind of trouble or were doing something, I caught it as well. And, I, you know, all I heard all my life growing up, you know, we're going to watch you. You can't do what your older brothers did. And they're, they're both fine, upstanding citizens now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you always had to pay and, and live with their mistakes as well. Yes. But, yes. you know, I, I still keep up with friends. I've been gone from that area now over 40 years. And I still have two or three close friends now that uh, we keep up with and good times and memories that we share. So, yeah, yeah I'll trade that experience with it with, for anything. Yeah, I've got like three or four guys, you know, that I keep up with. Um, obviously, when I go back home or something, we see them. So that, those are just the, you know, that's kind of the way it is, right? For everyone who leaves home eventually, right? Or they stay and that's kind of where they end up, which is fine too. So you did, you did mention something that surprised me and not because we wouldn't talk about it during vacation. It's not something you're going to bring up, but you are pretty tall. And you talked about in high school, you were, sounds like a pretty good basketball player because you said you got a scholarship to college. Now, um, I know that basketball, usually everybody I have on here, whether it's even a guy or a girl, has always played some form of sports. I don't know why. Um, it's just that was part of, part of their life. Um, but you growing up being a sports guy or basketball guy, 
talk a little bit about what position you played or what um real brief just that what, what position were you mainly point guard believe it or not i'm almost six nine i'm shrinking a little bit as i get over the center uh, well believe it or not i grew late in high school i was the point guard as a freshman in high school okay uh, so i grew as you know progressively through the years and actually grew another couple of inches after i graduated from high school late bloomer actually grew another inch after I got out of college at 21 years old. Wow. Uh, so, you know, I, I fortunately, my being the, the youngest of three boys, the older two were very athletic. My older brother's quarterback on the high school football team. My middle brother starter on the high school basketball team, state runners up. So, you know, I, I watched it and I had to sure. absorb it and suck it all in and I either got tough and got better or I went, you know, got whipped every day by them. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, obviously made an advantage for me I, since I grew late and everything, I got a, a scholarship to play small college basketball in Arkansas. And nice. for my, you know, for my benefit, my parents were, like I mentioned before middle-class and I was a full ride, full scholarship, uh, which opened up a lot of doors for me and gave me some, uh, things that and opportunities that I otherwise might not have gotten. Correct. Uh, there was a community college, two-year college in our hometown that my mother was actually the business office manager. I could have got, gone there and played basketball, but as you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you're ready to get out of the small town and <laughs> yeah. go experience life. So Right. That's awesome. And you got a four-year ride. I mean, and, and you played all four years, right? Yeah, played all four years. Nice, had, nice. Had a real successful NAI program then, and uh you know, uh, ups and downs is all college. Any, I don't care what level you're at. College athletics is a business. Yep. yep. Uh, but it's uh, you. You know, you're you're doing. You, you have to go to breakfast. You got to go to class. You got to run the steps if you miss curfew. You got to right. do study hall. So I mean, there's always people checking up on you. Not a lot of free time. But right. You know, you're you're never able to trade those experiences. Um, you know, because that otherwise wouldn't have gotten uh, right. my laugh all the time. I don't know that I ever experienced a true college life, and I tried to make up for it after I got out. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. Hey, man, you know what? Like you said, people have their paths, and you were blessed, and you didn't take advantage of that blessing. And, you know, and that's what people should look back at. I mean, like, you know, when someone's listening, they're like, oh, of course, you got a great education because, yeah, but you know what? You had to work, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. You don't just you know, get it. Very few of us fall out of bed talented. You know what I'm saying? Um, we have, I mean, other than myself, um, Joe. Uh, well, I was waiting on Mila to answer your rebut. That <laughs> She's not in here else. She'd smack me. <laughs> the head. Um, but no, for real, it's like, you know, we all have to work at whatever our craft is, you know? And so I feel like that's a, that just started early for you to, you know, whether it's in school or whatever you end up doing in life, you know, you were able to really su succeed on that. Um, now, let me ask you this, though. I guess ultimately be, playing college uh, basketball and collegiate basketball, did that help you, uh, I guess, prepare for the real world, like you said, because of the, the hard lessons and, and the, the discipline and stuff? I mean, even though you went afterwards and kind of had that celebratory time, I assume it still structured your life in a way that like military did for me. Yeah, I don't I don't. There's no question. Um you know, I think athletics probably is probably the biggest influence on my life, you know, as far as work sure. um, because of all the things, the, the intangibles and the tangibles. Sorry, I didn't turn mine off. <laughs> um, That's the, right. It's pretty in the middle of the interview. It's yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's gone now. Um, the, the, 
there's no there's no better way of learning how to work with other people than there is when you're military but when you're sitting and living in a dorm with other people of varying backgrounds and right uh, you know, all those types of things that are coming together for one good and that's to try to win basketball games you have to learn how to get along you have to learn when you played stereo loud or you get in a fight you got to learn right. coming in and borrowing your clothes you have to learn who you can fight and who you can't fight i mean <laughs> But you also know how to massage egos. Right, uh, right. You have to know how to, to manage conflict because there's always conflict in anything like that. Um, right, yeah, no, it makes sense. Think, it's very military-like. Yeah. I mean, oh, gosh. I mean, and it, and it was. It was very structured. Right. Um, and, I, and I still to this day retired. I don't do well if I don't have a schedule every day. And it's <laughs> drives me crazy. I'm retired. I don't have to do this, but I still need some structure in my life <laughs> yeah and that's that's not a bad thing i mean i think i've loosened the reins a little bit mila you know is always been, you always have to plan something now granted she loves when i plan things right like surprises and going and setting stuff up she lets me do all that she doesn't right. really do any of that stuff because that's my personality but at the same time i've learned to relax a little bit like okay we can just you know she's like why do you have to walk for an hour only why can't we walk maybe for an hour and a half if we just feel like it you know and i'm like all right, I'll take it easy. <laughs> you know, so now um, let's let's uh, before we get to the next part, how's your drink doing? My my drink is uh, almost needed out, so I'm pretty good shape. Well, I just needed mine out because uh, I think we're gonna pour one more, and then I got some uh, of the Jody stuff coming up. All right. What are you going for next, the George I'm Nickel? For, I'm Tennessee. I have to do Tennessee whiskey. Now, uh, is that that's a special bottle? I looked it up, right? That's the small that is, that's, the, that's, uh, um, that's a 13 year old um George Dickel bottled in bond, Tullahoma. Yes, yes. So it's uh, that's why when I got it, I when we we talked a little bit about it, that um, the guy said you may or may not be able to get 100 proof, yep. Uh, but if you live in Tennessee, you got to do a little Tennessee whiskey. So, uh, and meal is all. Mila's, you said you said you didn't think I'd have it. Well, it's a joke, running joke around here. And <laughs> this is funny because George Dickel is her favorite whiskey. Well, when I had her and the five other Wine Wednesday girls on the interview uh, last year, I it was one of the wine, uh, whiskeys because she loves George Dickel. And I, I said, <laughs> when I announced it, I was like, yes, Mila loves the Dickel. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It's just kind of a running joke when you were like, I don't know if you've had this. I'm like, yes, the I've, not had the bottle of <laughs> I've not had the bottle in Bond, but we do love George Dickel and it is a good bottle. And like you said, that was a 2008 bottle right there. I mean, so it is a, that's a special bottle. Yeah. So I went with the few and that's an actual bourbon whiskey. Uh, and it's a really good bottle. I got it from a Flavier subscription. Uh, it's on the higher side. Most of mine now, you know, are on the higher side, just you know, except your everyday Jack or something that I'm going to have for, for Jack and Cokes or something. But uh, this one's a really good bottle. I actually tried it the other day. Uh, it's a little bit sweet. So um, enjoy ours together. Another virtual cheers. Cheers. And we'll get into California. Oh, that's good. No offense, but that's better than the other one. Um, how's yours? Mine may be better than the other one, too. Yeah. The George Dickel and Bottle and Bond special, I mean, think about 13 years. That's a pretty well, uh, you know, that's a pretty good time sitting in a bottle. It's a, it's a little smoother. Yeah, a little smoother, even though that Taylor's uh, amazing bottle. So let me talk about this. Jody, your sweetheart. Uh, what year? You said 83 is when you met her or married her? Married her in 83, right. Okay. 
Now she is a doll baby and I'm sure, you know, you could say that as well, but I'm sure you guys, you know, had your normal struggles like any marriage couple. Um, but when you had mentioned to me in the pre-discussion about how the big break, you know, was to find her and then move, you were in Arkansas and you met her there or did you meet her somewhere else in college? After no, I actually college? met her. I had, um, had moved back to my hometown after graduating from college to coach. Okay. Um, and met her there. Um, and we started dating. She was a neonatal intensive care nurse and was just starting at the New Morton Center, which is the one of the premier neonatal intensive care centers in this region. Right. Um, and she started working there and was commuting back and forth. Um, and, and I applied for a job in this area, didn't get it. So we were going to do long distance. I was going to Little Rock, Arkansas. She was going to come here and I guess we were going to meet in Brinkley and have conjugal visits or something at the McDonald's parking lot and try to make it happen. I don't know how it was going to work, but, uh, yeah. but then I got a, I got a call when I, when I mentioned a big break and from Collierville, Tennessee, the high school here where we are now. Right. Three and, uh, accepted the job there. So we decided to get married. We got married on July the 4th at 10 o'clock in the morning. So we uh, were in Jamaica for your anniversary. Yeah, that's that's why we were one of the reasons my birthday and our anniversary. That's right. Did I, uh, I don't, I don't remember you t celebrating that or at least bringing yeah, we that probably talked about it at the pool. If you didn't remember, that was maybe when you were coming back from one of your visits. Quite Excursions or whatever. <laughs> So yeah, and then we moved. We moved here to Collierville and have been here ever since. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now let me ask you this: You talk about uh, I forgot to ask you in college. You did mention that you were thinking about pharmaceutical, right? right. So, right. at what year did you decide I'm going to do education and structure my life towards that? Was there like a meaningful change, or is just mental? It just happened. Yeah, I think probably playing basketball and enjoying it. And then there was uh, one of my math. I majored in math. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, kind of was leaning toward that. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story in a minute of probably an opportunity that I squandered, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the guy who kept the book for the college basketball for our games was one of our my professors. Um, and he kind of kind of became a mentor to a lot of us, but particularly those of us who he felt like uh, we're studying math. That we were his guys, and uh, when I, you know, just started talking to him, doing some things. The pharmacy thing was a high school buddy of mine who I still remain in contact with. I'll actually see him this weekend. Uh, we were in math classes together. We played basketball together. And we were going to start. Uh, we were going to got out. We we're going to pharmacy school. We we're going to start Watkins Pharmacy. His name is Dean Watts. I'm John Atkin. It was going to be Watkins. I'd say. All right. I even let him have top billing. So yeah, yeah, you're like, I'm humble. I don't uh, care. I just want so, to but somewhere along the line in college, I decided I wanted to get out and make a lot of money. So I decided to teach and <laughs> coach. Uh, so uh, what, whatever I was thinking then, I was uh, – so, I mean, that, that kind of pushed me that way. I actually um, – the, the story about an opportunity, and you're going to laugh at this, maybe not, Make call me stupid, but I, I might was uh, if you like gave yeah, up the, um, the, the, the town where I went to school was called Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and it was 30 minutes south of Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is famous for a couple of things. It was a former gambling capital back in the Al Capone days, um, but it has baths, hot springs, and it has horse racing, Oaklawn horse track. 
So our weekends in college, a lot of them were spent going back and forth to hot springs to the horse track and, you know, playing the ponies and doing all things college guys do. Right. Um, well, I had a placement interview then on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the spring uh, that the college had set up for me with a company the night before Friday night, we went to hot springs and obviously laid out a little bit too long. <laughs> um, the placement interview that next morning I missed uh -oh. and it was with a little small company just starting called federal express Oh, geez. and uh, looking for math teachers, math majors, computer software. I mean, I it, my career worked out great and everything right, worked right. out great. I tell people all the time, oh, FedEx is not going to amount to anything. And they're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, you were just selling yourself on that whole, I just missed up somehow. <laughs> yeah, nothing to it. So, but yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, that's that's probably the example of life's different twists and turns. Of you, course. Of you can course. have great, great plans, but things happen that turn you another way. And you know what? You really can't, you know, you can't um, stew on that, if you will, because honestly, you know, like you said, and, and, and no offense, I mean, I'm sure being a teacher was great, but it's where it took you at the end, right? Being able to be in, uh, in charge of the district, because um, we know I have a, a, my boys school, we're in a smaller town uh, up here in California. It's a very small town, uh, lots of land, you know, and what's interesting is that principle became the I guess the, what's it called after that, when you now run the district? Superintendent or director of schools, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's a big jump in pay, you know, especially out here in California. But what I'm saying is, I'm sure FedEx would have been great, stocks and all that stuff. But, you know, you wouldn't have met the people. You wouldn't have had the relationships probably quite the same. So you can never really look back on it. Now, if you would have said something like, yeah, I'm sitting there and this guy scribbles on a napkin and says, you know, just give me a hundred bucks today. Uh, for you know FedEx stock or Amazon or you know uh, <laughs> one of those crazy companies like uh, Microsoft back then and you were like nah I don't have a hundred bucks you know that's different you know then I would have come across to Tennessee and kicked you in the head <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of those too but <laughs> we all do that's the problem I didn't even know about that stuff when I was young so uh, you bring up the the fact that you guys had three kids right now if everyone I'm not going to spoil the surprise but he did have three kids. Uh, one, I think you said is 41 now, right? That's the one that lives in Texas. Right. Okay. Then you have a middle one and there are two girls that are in the middle, correct? Well, I mean, middle uh, and third. boys and then the youngest. Oh, I'm is sorry. Three. So the third one was the, the girl. Okay. So tell us a little bit about uh, the surprise and, and kind of how the three kids. And if you guys are wondering why I'm getting into this, it's kind of a cool story. Uh, so just a real quick, like how the kids were born uh, and then, you know, the other parts of it. Sure. How long do we have? I mean, just give me a, uh, a couple minutes synopsis. <laughs> I well, don't you know, I told you your casual visit in McDonald's and yeah, yeah. Well, Jody and I obviously we met in West Hell, and I part of the story is Jody was married before and already had Bruce. So okay. Bruce was two and we started dating. When we got married, he was three. Okay. Uh, we moved to Kyrville at that point. When she had Bruce before I met her. Uh, real um, ugly delivery, prolonged delivery of 30-something hours before oh. they sectioned her. Okay. Uh, obviously had to have a DNC later on uh, to clear up all the problems associated with that. We moved to Kyrieville. She requested records, um, found out that during the DNC, her uterus had been perforated. She had scarred all over. So we start going to 
different things to try to, you know, start her own family. Right. Uh, she went through years, seems like hundreds of years, but looking back at it now, but uh, a series of infertility treatments. We went to Vanderbilt University because of the issues caused by that. Wow. And, and if you know Jody and have ever met her, I know you've met her, but never seen her around kids. She is the baby whisperer. Right. Uh, so wanting to have a baby and obviously wanting to have one together for us was, you know, our dream, but we became foster parents through the Department of Children's Services here in Memphis. Um, so we got emergency placements. I was coaching. She was nursing. She worked weekends as a weekender shift. And of course, and then so I worked during the week and blah, blah, blah. But um, we kept foster kids, emergency placements, typically abuse um child abuse sexual abuse um, neglect those types we got emergency placement babies because of her experience can we and pause we kept... for a second yes sir I, I i don't remember where you were emergency placements i want people to understand because i was thrown off so i i know that some people may know what that is but fostering is where you take on multiple kids correct you're not going for adoption you're actually at one Temporary. point, you, you've probably had many people through your home or kids, correct? That is correct. We had, uh, I may have the number not quite right, but we had 12 over a period of about a year and a half. Wow. Uh, now, what does that entail other than, uh, is it just kind of like we need them for the weekend, a week? And why is so many in, a, in a, a short period of time? What is fostering about other than we know you're helping somebody, but why do they not stay? Yeah, well, it, it depends on the situation. Obviously, the goal of any uh, fall, uh, relationship like that is if at all possible, you want to return them to the birth parents. Got it. Um, in some cases, that's impossible. Some cases, you know, they get turned over to an, a relative, a grandparent or something like that. Okay. But they get a referral to the Department of Children's Services for some incident that happened. Okay. And that happened, let's take a simple one of a sexual abuse of an infant. Um, if, if we have a little baby that they have, you know, possible sexual abuse, they immediately come into the home, they turn it over to the Department of Children's Services. They can't have any contact with that child. So that's when they enlist the aid of their foster parents out there like Jody and I. Were. And that's what refers to as an emergency, you're saying? That's correct. That's correct. Right. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Our... That's, that's a big deal because I want people to understand that's not, you're working parents and nurse and teacher and, and you've got the heartbreak, the love, the, the, the compassion that you guys have. I don't want that to be overlooked. I mean, yeah, you know, that, that's that. a big deal. And so, I mean, I, mean, I want to make people understand that, you know, you guys should be uh, commended for that even though I know you were looking at it as that's just us. That's what we do. We love yeah. kids and that's what we were doing, but I want people to understand that's, that's a real, um, I don't want to say burden. It just, it's a tough part to, to have someone in love it for two weeks, a month, and then have to, you know, uh, I guess yeah. give that child back to the, the parents or the, you know, the system, if you will. So you I just want to say thank you for that. And you, and, and the unknown of that is the hard part. You're turning them back over. And right, you don't know. In your mind, you're thinking okay. this could be the child that we end up raising, right? Because that's the right. whole point. So to go back to your story about how it ended up happening and, and, you know, over the years of the kid or the year and a half of the kids, how you ended up keeping one. So the last one we kept was the most difficult one. Um, he was born at 28 weeks. He weighed two pounds, eight ounces, a lot of issues. Um, so we brought him, Jody brought him home. Uh, he was born in May. We brought him home on Labor Day. 
and a lot of issues. He ended up having to go back to the hospital. He got a respiratory syncytial virus, which is real common now called RSV mm-hmm. uh, with babies. But back then, no one knew anything about RSV. And Jody actually worked with a doctor who pioneered the virus to treat, I mean, the, the treatment for the virus, um, RSV. Um, so uh, t- for the purpose of the interview, we can prolong this as long as possible. We kept we kept him and we kept him. There were some it- issues came up. Uh, we decided we were gonna send him back. They didn't have a place for him. Uh, during that time, um, I was coaching a basketball game against our rival and came home and she showed me the positive EPT test. Wow. Um, so she was pregnant. Well, she had miscarried many times before and we kind of, okay. Um, so all of these things are going on all at once, but, uh, she did end up pregnant. She didn't end up bleeding. She didn't end up having to go back to the hospital. She did end up in bed on bed rest for six and a half, seven months. Um, and we eventually ended up, uh, keeping the foster child. Uh, while Jody was pregnant, we had both of them, and obviously with Bruce as the oldest one, and uh, carried the miracle baby, Hallie, who's now 33, um, to term almost. Um, and we had Hallie, and then we adopted Shay on his fourth birthday. So nice. we now were complete that time. They were two and a half years apart. So, so you're you're saying to me then this see this is the part I didn't get in the previous <laughs> discussion. So you're saying that while you have a 28 month, which is just over two years, right? right? This is your middle child. Right. Okay. Correct. That's right. He is ours now. He's 35. Right. So during this whole time, you're taking care of this baby. Jody gets pregnant with the miracle baby, which is the daughter. Not, right. And you're just thinking, oh my gosh. So now you've got, I mean, you're now you're excited because you got a foster child that is officially adopted pretty much what a year and a half maybe after the baby you know your first uh, the daughter was actually a year and a half roughly so they came together and then now you have your three children that is so cool and what's funny um you have two grandchildren right that's correct which are from the daughter the youngest right they're from the miracle baby baby who wasn't (laughs) supposed to be born and she's the one that gave you two grandchildren first correct that is correct. And she, and she had to have, she had a lot of the fertility issues her mama had. So she had to have uh, in vitro, they went through in vitro fertilization also. So, right. so we've got the mom, the miracle baby, and now the twins who, you know, you know how I feel about them. Well, yeah, you know, I, my boys are twins, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and they're 19 now. And Woo. I will say that my son, uh, both of them, almost 310, almost 28. Isn't that funny? Um, wow, that is, I, that is, I, run. That up, I was almost crying a little bit because they were both tiny, first of all, but the one was getting suffocated by the other. And so for them to actually, you know, grow up to be six foot six, one now, it's just, it's amazing. Right. So yeah, our, our like, foster child who was two eight is now about six feet tall, about two seventy five. So oh, okay. he is, he's, he's big. <laughs> oh my goodness well i i love that stuff well we're gonna do our last if you have any left let's not let me i gotta need this and out i've got a part of the story that we're gonna wrap up with i mean it's about 10 minutes but we got we got to get into our third tasting which you're getting into which one now this is the local one right i'm in the local one now so i'm interested in seeing how this one tastes and it's called hooling 
It's Hewling Station. It was the warehouse uh, way back in the railroad days. 1986, yeah. Right, and then Dominic Canale. Canale is a famous family in this area there. Have been beer distributors, obviously have a long tie to Memphis. Um, and it is 52% corn, 44% rye, 4% malted barley. Yeah, they gave it good reviews. I looked it up online and they have three different whiskeys. They have a wheat, they have a, a standard bourbon, and then that one. And they said that one actually was pretty smooth. So the, the critics agree. Um, now this one, I went Costco. Now, not that, that, but they actually make a new one. The bottle and bond you were talking about earlier with the dickel. Right. So Costco just came out with the Kentucky bourbon, bottle and bond, Kirkland brand. Um, wow. Yeah, no, I literally, I, I go to Costco at least twice a week because I don't know why. Uh, I'll bring that up another day. Um, I, don't, I don't know why, but every time I go, I look at the whiskey and this one just showed up. And I had a friend of mine say, have you tried that yet? And I'm like, I just bought it. So ironically, I did taste it the other day. It's very smooth. So another virtual cheers to our last one. We got cheers. Hurling and uh, Kirkland. Here we go. Okay, so. If anyone's wondering, of the three, mine's the few is my favorite. I, I, I like the last one, but I think the Dickel's my favorite. So you like the Dickel as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell Jody about that. She might. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem. Yeah. All right. So the last thing I wanted to hit on, sorry, I got notes here. Um, you know, being an educator, and again, let's go into this. So how long, let, real quick, just how long did you teach versus when you got promoted to the district person? Sure. That's, yeah, that's a great, I did everything. I taught, coached, um, taught and coached for 12 years total. 16 years, five as an assistant principal of a high school of about a 2,200 student high school. Oh, wow. Big. Then 11 years as high school principal okay. at that school. A year as assistant superintendent of a 50,000 student district, 51 schools, and then superintendent of Shelby County Schools, which is, if you're familiar with the Memphis area or not, there's the city of Memphis and then resides in, it's in Shelby County. So all the area outside the city limits inside the county um, did that for five years actually got embroiled in a merger. If you study your history, Memphis City and Shelby County Schools merged. Um, real contentious. Um, the city schools was actually 100,000 students, twice the size of our county district. And they basically went into a board meeting and voted five to four to go out of business. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, so according to Tennessee law, the county is responsible for educating the children. So Shelby County Schools became the de facto school system, even though it ended up being a little, the opposite of that. So right. I did that for, you know, for five years. The last three basically were spent in federal court and working on all the nuances and processes of merging. Right. merging, yeah. Completely different districts. And they strung both of the superintendents along pretty good. Wow. Um, you know, normally when two businesses merge, a decision is made pretty quickly who the boss is. You know, it's either him, it's either him, or it's neither one of you. We're going to bring somebody else in. Um, and they strung both of us along for a while. So they 
basically strung us both along long enough that we both left. Oh, there you go. Uh, so I actually retired uh, one time in 2013. Um, and then legislation changed in Tennessee, probably because a result of all the turmoil in Shelby County at the time. And they lifted the ban on independent or municipal school districts. So independent school districts, they were in Tennessee and they couldn't form for a while and then they put it back in. So where I live, Collierville is a suburb of Memphis and it was allowed to form its own school district. The voters had to vote in a referendum and agree to pay X amount. And so that happened, I was consulting at the time. So they backed me in a corner one day and the board chairman's house and said, you wanna be our superintendent or not? And so I ended up doing that and spent the last five years forming a school district in six months then running it, then building a huge high school and then retiring again. Well, it's interesting at that point, though, when they call you in, you're always like, uh, here's the napkin, brother. <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? You're like, look, you. I mean, that I can tell, like, that's how you became EVB. And I still can't believe you didn't tip as much. <laughs> and, uh, hey, and that the, the good thing about that, I didn't even have to push the napkin forward. They were pushing it to me. <laughs> they're like, here's the check. How many zeros do you want, right? I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we all know that the last 18 months, God, it's going to be two years in February that we all went crazy. Um, the pandemic, you know, and I know this is kind of a closing topic and uh, we, we don't need, you know, I'm not saying we don't need to harp on it, but you wanted to bring up a little bit about, you know, you being an educator for so many years and then your wife being a nurse. Um, you know, I don't know if Jody's retired or no. He is retired. She's full-time grandmother too. But she also understood what nurses go through. And, and obviously you as educators, I don't know if you, you were probably pulled in a little bit during the pandemic, right? Um, right. Whether it's on I, Zoom or whatever, um, you know, just you wanted to bring it up and how educators and nurses and, and just kind of get that respect back. And I know a lot of people still love those both, right? But I also okay. feel like Sure. People have also stepped on those careers. So I'm going to give you it's a platform for a couple of minutes and then we'll I love platforms. You know, an educator loves platforms <laughs> like a politician. Uh, now it's uh, and I won't harp on it too much, but I, you know, when you, when we first, we entered the pandemic back in the spring of 2020, right. Um, when they were closing schools down and parents were basically having to keep their kids at home all day and try to, teach them via Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever the platform is. Right. So all the all the posts and all of the things about educators is, oh God, we don't pay y'all enough. We don't know how y'all put up with this. Correct. We got two two in their house. Positive for the That's for right. It was positive. And now as we progress through this thing, it just seems like the, it, the it's just turned where they're not the anointed children anymore as far as, you know, in the eyes of parents. And I think that's probably minority. I think it's, uh, and the same can be said about um, those in the medical profession. My gosh, I'm watching people, and Jody still talks to the nurses and doctors she used to work with where, and we're not gonna get in a political statement of anti-vaccine or sure, anti-mask sure. or whatever else, but you can you can see the effects of it happening now in the hospitals where it's like hunger games, where right. you're coming in there and saying, well, that one's had the vaccine, that one hasn't, and that one's on, who do I put on the 
ventilator at this time. Yeah. Right. And then those are ethical decisions that that you no know, one that, should really have to make. That is exactly right. And right. now the, you know the, they're leaving both both sides are leaving the profession in droves. They're having a hard time filling staffing hospitals. They're having a hard time staffing schools. And it's just because I think of the lack of respect and demands. I don't know how either either profession does it right now. I really don't. Because You know, a lot of it might be exhaustion, too. I mean, you know, I, I'm not doubting what you're saying. But at the same time, I feel like I don't do a lot of a, like the TikToking and I don't follow all that. So who I don't know who's bashing who, but. What I'm saying is I think at some point there's like the high of the appreciation and then there's like the forget, it. you know, you just kind of forget about it. Right. Because we're moving on again and then you're back in the old, hey, the nurses are the nurses. And, and so I feel like that's kind of where it's at, even though it's not right. I'm just saying, like, I feel like some people are like, I am exhausted. Yeah. Right. I'm exhausted and I'm at my point where I can either retire or go do something else or you know, whatever it is. And then the, the people that are staying are staying. Uh, and then the people are, you know, that are just getting in have to kind of stay. So I, I do appreciate you bringing that up because it does mean that, you know, we as a society, and I'm certainly no judge, so I don't really have a platform to speak on other than just bringing it up. It's just, everyone appreciates everybody when it's in the moment, right? Just like the hero, you know, it's like eventually, the hero is in a record book, and unless you know who he is or brought it, someone brings him up, he's not going to be brought up, right? So yeah. the pandemic will be a history book, just like nine, uh, you know, two thousand one with the you know attack. All that stuff is, you know, my kids weren't born then, so those those heroes are brought up, and so I guarantee you that those teachers and nurses and all that stuff will be brought up in the history books, and there'll be stories to be told. And I hope so. I hope, I hope so. so too, but I feel like it will. So John, I just wanted to thank you for tonight and um, I, I appreciate it so much. And I know, you know, your story is so big. It could go on for days, but I just love the, the ability to get into the meat and the potatoes of it. And I appreciate you drinking some whiskey. I'm sure you're a little buzzed right now. Cause I no, am. I'm good. I'm good. Ah. <laughs> but uh, we'll sign off for now and um, we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. All right. Tell Mila Strode Boone hello for me. All right, buddy. Talk to you All later. Right, take care.